If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even before when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. May your unfailing love come to us, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then we will answer the ones who taunt us, for we trust in your word. Do not snatch the word from our mouths, for we have put our hope in your gospel. We will always stand in your gospel forever and ever. We will walk about in freedom, for we seek out your precepts. We will deliver your truth before kings, And will never be put to shame, for we delight in your word. We love it, and we meditate on it in our hearts daily. Help us this day to hear your word and to grow in our understanding of all you have done to save our souls. We thank you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. We come this week to chapter 2, this great and wonderful book of Ephesians. We will be looking at the message of the first five verses. What Paul is showing us in these verses is the reason for the need man has of this doctrine of election. We will answer the question many have about man and his need of salvation. It will be shown that it all centers in man's spiritual nature. It begins in the nature he was born with and inherited from Adam. We will learn how that nature perverts us and why we need a new nature to overcome this old one. Last week we sang the hymn, I Love to Tell the Story. The refrain goes, I love to tell the story, to will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Now Paul, in this letter to the church of Ephesus, is doing exactly that. He's telling us the story of Jesus Christ and of his love. He began by explaining the sovereign work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is so overcome with joy at what God has done. He stops and offers a brief prayer in verses 15 through 23. In chapter 2, he returns to the story. To properly tell the story of Jesus' love, one has to first consider the source of that love. 
Paul recounted that in chapter 1. The source of God's love is the infinite character of God the Father. That love is then clearly revealed to all who will hear and believe in Jesus Christ, who is the perfect embodiment of God's love. The Holy Spirit makes that love real to all who have called out with a humble heart and a contrite spirit. Having laid the foundation for God's love coming into this world, Paul now turns to the reason that love was so needed. This is the part of the story that's so hard for the unregenerate heart to hear. As I have told you many times before, man does not have a problem with seeing himself as worthy or undeserving. He has a problem with thinking more of himself than he really is. This makes what we will see in these verses repulsive to many. Many love to hear the old, old story. As long as you start in the middle, they don't like that first part. Leave it off, they say. They don't want to hear about a sovereign God. They don't want to hear about a depraved mankind. I can't tell you how many times in the past 30 years as pastor of this church, I have been confronted by people who detest the concept of the total depravity of man. They want to believe in a heaven and that Jesus is the way into heaven. But they refuse to look at why it was necessary that Jesus prepare the way to start with. They want to believe he did did it simply because he looked down from heaven and saw how nice they were and he wanted them to be with him. If you're going to say you love the story, then you must understand it and you must love all of it. God is sovereign. He is in control of everything. Mankind has sinned. He has rebelled against God. They have all died spiritually, making themselves a stench in the nostrils of God. They become utterly worthless before him and fit only for destruction in the lake of fire. That is just as much a part of the gospel message as is the coming of Jesus Christ. You must not ignore this truth, for to do so is to deny your need of a Savior. If you deny your absolute dependence on Christ, then you will never see the inside of heaven. It's equally as important to understand where you came from as it is to know where you are going. The navigator can plot a course only when he knows the point of origin and the point of destination. God has plotted a course for you. He knows you were born a sinner. He knows where you need to go as a believer. He makes that plain throughout the scriptures. Please don't be offended by the simple truth that you were lost in your sins and trespasses, for we all were. Be overjoyed that God has seen your plight, that he has rescued you from it. Be grateful that God has called you even though you didn't deserve it. Be forever thankful that Jesus Christ has taken your case and he's acting as your advocate. Don't allow Satan to sell you a bill of goods and somehow tell you that you deserve anything from God. You don't. Always remember, you are a rebel, a traitor, and unworthy of anything from God and then the grace offered in Jesus Christ will grow ever sweeter. As Paul begins the second chapter, 
He speaks of the sinfulness of all men, both Jew and Gentile. Remember, his purpose in this letter is to show the church as the vessel through which God will bring his people together. He will later talk of the middle wall of partition being torn down. That was the wall that separated the Jews and Gentiles. So, as he speaks in these first five verses, he's speaking to all men, regardless of their race, nation, tribe, or language. Let's examine these five verses this morning. First, we shall see the spiritual state of men. Second, we will observe the spiritual environment of men. Third, we will study the spiritual path man is following on his own. Last, we will note the spiritual hope God has prepared for man. Paul addresses in this first verse of chapter 2 the spiritual state of all men. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is one of the defining passages of Scripture. This is one of the, the, the greatest verses. I cannot overemphasize the importance of it. It is so because it paints with a very wide brush the condition of all men before God. In Genesis 2.17, God told Adam, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Adam ate and he died immediately, not a physical death, but a spiritual death. Now, he, I know there's always someone out there that wants to bring Eve into this situation. What was her part? Paul tells us about Eve in 1 Timothy 2.14 when he says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Adam was the one who was in charge. Adam had the responsibility. It was his duty to oversee and take care of Eve. He didn't stop Eve, but he let her fall into sin through the deception of Satan. That doesn't mean her sin was any less than ours, than man's. But it means she sinned. And she did it through deception. This spiritual death became the process in men of physical death. The time between his spiritual death and his physical death was a time of grace. Understand, God had a plan. He would redeem some out of this spiritual death to be his people. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Adam began drawing his wages with his spiritual death. He passed that first payment on to all who followed him by ordinary generation. How do we know men who follow Adam are still spiritually dead? Because Romans 8, 6 tells us the mind of sinful man is death. Every man who refuses to hear the gospel message, who refuses to believe on Jesus Christ, is spiritually dead. They have no life in them, so spiritual life in them at all. Paul, in speaking to the Ephesians, says, you who were dead. He can say this because everyone who does not believe in Jesus Christ is dead. Proverbs 21, 16 says, a man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. Adam led us all from the path of understanding, therefore all died. This, my friends, is the legacy of all men. It is important that you understand this to properly understand the rest of the gospel message. This is a part of the old, old story. 
What is a rescue when the person being rescued is not really in any danger? The rescue of men from the state of spiritual death is indeed a heroic rescue because it literally brings them back from this hopeless situation. How do we know the situation of man was hopeless? Paul says they were dead in trespasses and sins. Transgressions or trespasses are those things that have drawn you away from the straight and narrow path. Sins are those things which are inclinations of thoughts, words, and deeds. Those attempts at things which miss the mark. The mark would be that given at creation. It was to glorify God. So both sins of omission and commission are included in these trespasses and sins. One of the things that causes some people a problem with this idea of spiritual death is the fact that simply because a man is spiritually dead does not mean he cannot at times do things that seem good in our eyes. Most theologians will admit that even unregenerate men can do some good in the eyes of other men. John Calvin wrote concerning some men that they had uniformly conducted themselves in a most virtuous manner through the whole course of their lives. A thinking, observant man cannot deny this. Scripture teaches this. It said of King Joash in 2 Chronicles 24.2 that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And what you need to understand about this man, Joash, he was the son of Amaziah, who was, was the son of Athaliah, who was the woman that took over the throne when her husband died, and she was a very sinful person. She killed all of the descendants except Joash, whom Jedidiah, the high priest, saved from being killed. Later, Jedidiah raised him up to a certain age, and then he helped him become king. And he was his great counselor throughout the time he lived. He lived until Josiah was in his, Joash was in his, his uh, 20s sometime. But once that was over, after Jehoiada died, he turned and did those things that were terrible. He killed Jedidiah's son, Jehoiada's son, uh, because he was giving him the word of God. And he didn't want to hear the word of God. So he had him murdered. This shows us that even a bad man, under the right circumstances, can do some good things. That doesn't mean he's saved because we're not saved by works. Jesus told us in Luke 6, 33, And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For sinners do the same thing. Unregenerate men can respond in a crisis to help others. They do so because they can see themselves in that same situation and see that they may one day also need help. Many men can and do at times show some spark of compassion and goodness toward others, but you must not confuse this with spiritual good. If a work is not a work of true faith, it's not from a heart that sees the other person as having been created in the image of God. Many in this world have learned that total selfishness is not an acceptable path to follow. They control their selfishness in some areas. You need to understand total depravity. It does not mean a person is as sinful as he could ever get. 
but that every area of his life has been touched by sin. This is what Paul means when he says, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. You cannot know anything spiritual until you have been made spiritually alive. Natural man, the spiritually dead man, cannot know nor comprehend anything spiritual. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. What can a dead man do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The spiritually dead man cannot understand the things of God, for he has no information, therefore, to process and receive these good things, it sounds to him like foolishness. He will not accept the teaching of the scripture. He cannot, for it is spiritually discerned, and he does not have a living spirit. Now You may remember the name Karl Marx from history. Karl Marx developed a social idea that in the simplistic form said, if we could just give all men the exact same things, all the troubles of humanity would go away. The former Soviet Union tried to implement Marx's philosophy. You know how that turned out, how badly it failed. In our nation, they have been trying for years to tell, tell us that if we could just educate everybody, crime would vanish. I think you should all know how miserably that idea has failed. All we've gotten out of it is smart crooks. Paul says it is a heart matter, not a social or educational concern. Your, yes, environment has a part, but it's not the central problem. Add verses 1 and 2 together here. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He makes it clear. Those who have now are saved once lived in all of these evil ways. The evil ways of this old world. You as a sinner were living in this environment of evil, and you know what? You were very comfortable in it. You were a part of the kingdom or authority of the prince of the air, Satan. You were his slave. You had his dead nature. You were just like him, consumed with yourself and your own wants and desires. Nothing. Nothing apart from your own needs ever concerns you. You followed all of his ways. He was a rebel, so were you. He was a liar, so were you. He was a thief, so were you. He was a murderer, so were you. Whatever he did, you did. You were just like him. We have seen, been seeing on the news some of the most horrendous acts of total depravity you could ever imagine. This is not the only time these things have been seen. In Germany in the 30s and 40s, in Russia under the communists, China, North Korea, and in a number of African nations, all of this in the last century. Men being as brutal as you can imagine, being unbelievable acts of of doing unbelievable acts of evil because they were spiritually dead. This spirit of rebellion represents as the prince of the air or Satan is the spirit that is at work even as we speak in the hearts of all who are unregenerate. This is the spirit that inspires rebellion. 
In Hebrews 4, 6, we're told those who hate this spirit to obedience will never enter into God's rest. The spirit, Satan is working as hard as he can to make the bad even worse. He never rests. It is this spirit that if we were all at one time in alliance with. Now, please understand this. We cannot blame Satan for our rebellion. He just works to keep us in it and to make it as bad as he can. We are responsible for our choice in Adam. He is indeed a bad influence on us, and that is why Scripture tells us to flee fornication, flee from idolatry, flee from all kinds of evil, flee from youthful lust. Also in John 4, 7, he makes clear, you are to submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. As we have already said, Paul is writing this letter to show the place of the church in the working out of this process of redemption. In verse 3, he makes a very important point. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. He changes the pronoun he uses in this verse from the you of verse 1 and 2. To us, our, and we. He includes not just the Gentile believers of Ephesus, but also the Jewish believers like himself. This depravity is not limited to any one class of people. It is universal. All men have fallen short of the glory of God. We all come from the same background. We were all sinners, lost and without hope, spiritually dead and worthless before God. We were all engaged in the satisfying of our flesh, following our own wants and desires. There is not one single person coming from Adam by ordinary generation that was not an object of God's wrath. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 53. Turn over to Psalm 53, verses 1 through 3. This is a very important passage. It's one you need to learn, one you need to know in your heart. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. All men, all men have turned away from their creator and have followed their own way. Thus they have all been marked for destruction. This is a very discouraging teaching, isn't it? No one seeks God. No one wants to follow his ways. Everyone is in Satan's camp. But wait. Paul does not stop at this point. Look at Ephesians verses two, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in trespasses, make, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now here's where you should stop. You should stop and give great thanks for this one little word, this one little conjunction, but... But God, 
who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. No more beautiful words could be spoken. Here is the light in the darkest part of the night. Here is the light that shines forth to bring us hope. It begins as just a little speck, but the closer you come, the brighter it gets. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. If it had not been for this great love of God, there would not have been any hope at all for mankind. Who is this love centered upon? Note the last little word in this phrase, us. This is the same us he used in verse 3. The us are those who have seen their sinful condition, their need of a Savior, and have recognized that Savior as Jesus Christ, regardless of that, their race, tribe, nation, or language group. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He loved with such a great love the works of his hands, that he sent his son, his only begotten son, into this world, into his own creation, to save the people out of it. Matthew 1.21, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall give his name, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. He will save the us. He will save the we, Paul speaks of in verse 3. Thus, us and we are Gentiles and Jews. Because he has chosen people from every nation. Remember the promise made to Abraham? All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is that blessing. The sending of Jesus Christ to call his people out from every race, nation, tribe, and language group on the earth. How does he do it? How does he change them from sinner to saint? But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He does it by his mercy and by his grace. You are made alive with Jesus Christ. You don't make yourself anew. He makes you anew. He gives you a new heart and changes your desires and wants. He does it while you're dead in transgressions. You don't even know it's happening. One day you see your sinfulness. You see the darkness you're living in. You become aware of a light that is shining off in the distance and you're drawn to that light. The closer you come, the more of your own filth you see, the more you recognize the need to be cleansed. As you get even closer, you see the one who is drawing you and you know in your heart that he is the only one, the only one who can cleanse your soul and set you free from the oppression of this terrible darkness. It was not by your own will nor by any desire hidden within you that you were drawn to this glorious light, but by God's mercy and grace given in Jesus Christ. It was because of his great love for his creation that you, as a part of that creation, received such love. That love is poured out upon his church, 
upon his people as a demonstration of the great love, mercy, and grace. You receive it not only because you deserve it, but because it pleases him to give it. What joy these words should bring to your heart. By grace you have been saved. Grace is God's unmerited favor, and it is given to those who were chosen before the foundation of the world was laid. Those chosen who were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This all goes to show that spiritual life is not something man can conjure up on his own. This new nature of spiritual life comes only by the grace and mercy of God. In conclusion, you must see that these are words that should fill your heart with praise. Praise for this gracious and merciful God that has taken pity on a race of lost men and has chosen his own by his own pleasure and by his own goodwill to save the people unto himself. If you have received this grace and mercy, then you should know that you have been saved from a state of terrible darkness, brought into a state of glorious light, and made into a new creation. A creation that can come into the very presence of your Creator. Could there be a greater privilege than to stand with boldness before the throne of the one who has made you? Could there be a more wonderful knowledge than to know that you are loved? and have a place of honor at the right hand of your Savior? Could you want to be more than the temple of the living God who has made this world? I can't imagine that any man could truly expect there could be greater blessings. We are called out of this world as the living children of the Creator God of this universe. We're called to come together in His name, to stand with one another, to grow and worship together, to support and encourage each other, to provide an environment of love that we might be enabled to carry this message throughout the world to all who are called to God. If you have never heard and understood this message, I call you to listen. Jesus Christ was sent into this world to live the perfect life you could not live. He died the atoning death required for your reconciliation and won the victory over your spiritual enemies you could never win. For everyone who will listen and hear, with a humble heart, he will come and minister to you and he will bring you out of the darkness into the light. If you will open your heart and hear his word, if you will acknowledge your sin and confess, if you will call out with a broken and contrite heart, he promises he promises to hear and receive you with grace and mercy, and he will change your spiritual nature. He will forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Please, please don't put off coming to him, because it is only through him and through him alone that you can be saved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Help us to build ourselves up in faith and guide us as we pray in the Holy Spirit. Help us to keep ourselves in your love as we wait for the mercy you have promised in our Lord Jesus to bring us to eternal life. Be merciful when we doubt, snatch us from the fire when we fail, and save our souls. Let us grow in mercy mixed with fear, such that we learn to hate our sin and even our clothing that is stained by the corruption of flesh. 
Open our ears to hear the wonderful good news of your grace and our hearts to receive the blessings that come to us through Jesus Christ. For we pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You would take your hymnals.